my dad used to always tell me in basketball, he's like, you know, you want to make sure that each person that's on your team is able to, you know, score, is able to feel good, you know, put them in a position to be also a leader. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Tresso, your host and coach. On today's show, I talk with Zania Lewis, founder and CEO of the Yes, She Can campaign, a nonprofit that uses live events and technology to provide educational resources, programming, and professional development to girls, young women, and youth nationwide. I'm really excited to share my conversation with Zania with you. She was an inspiration to me and so many others, and I know you're going to love her as much as I did. Let's pop into my conversation as she tells us more about her organization and why she created it. I'm the founder and CEO and executive director of the Yes She Can campaign, which is a 501c3 youth-led nonprofit organization that empowers, inspires, and shares the stories of girls, young women, and youth who are overcoming adversity while striving to complete their education. So what the Yes She Can campaign does is that we provide um, educational resources, programming, and professional development to young people across the nation. And so we do it in a live events form and a virtual form. So I started the Yes She Can campaign my freshman year of college in December of 2016 because I was like overcoming a lot of obstacles in my life. And I was always wondering like, were other people experiencing the same hardships as I was experiencing? And so I started the Yes She Can campaign. It was really focused on girls and young women at the time. And um, we shared stories of girls and young women who are basically overcoming adversity while striving to complete the education. And through those stories, I started to learn that a lot of the students had a lot of obstacles going on in their lives, whether it was the lack of financial assistance to help them with their education, whether it was a lack of empowerment in their communities, a lack of resources and opportunities, and just a lack of a supportive community. And so I said, you know what, why not create Yes, She Can campaigns programs surrounded and inspired by these girls' stories. And so every program at the Yes, She Can campaign is inspired by all the girls who share their stories with me at the beginning and throughout my journey of basically running the organization. And wow. It's been an incredible ride. I recently graduated college and I've experienced a lot of hardships throughout my college journey, especially this past year. So it's just really empowering and inspiring to see all these girls and young women and young people who are part of our organization. Um, when I first started, I wanted it to be youth-led. And during that time, there weren't that many youth-led nonprofit organizations. And I said, you know, I want young people being able to, you know, contact people for sponsorships and partnerships or planning events or hosting events. I want them to have that seat at the table. And so I continue to keep that mission possible. Um, so the organizations run by high school, college, and recent graduate students. And they do different, they run different departments of our organization and they get that college, um, that career readiness skills through our um, organization so that, you know, when they go off after the issue can campaign, they can get jobs, they can get internships and, you know, go out there and accomplish their goals and dreams or even start their own organization. That's fantastic. And I'm curious about what have been some of the biggest obstacles you have faced personally? Yes. Um, for me, it has been financial hardships, especially this year was really, really um, just heartbreaking um, because 
in my organization, I preach to students to apply to scholarships to get that funding for the education. But in my case, it actually backfired um, because um, my university actually practices practice called scholarship award displacement, where you can win a private scholarship and then they can de decrease your financial aid package. So that means so that they if you win a scholarship, you get less yes, money. I didn't, didn't get as much money. Also, they increased my loans and they took away like my work study. And so I would basically was sitting there my senior year of college, determining whether I should drop out or, you know, get into more debt. But because I had, you know, basically one more semester left, I was like, you know what, I need to finish. So I was lucky enough to get approved for a private loan, but I didn't have any co-signers or anything. And this private loan, this was the last one I applied to and I was able to receive it, um, but I still didn't get enough money to finish paying my tuition. So um, I had to basically work so many hours um, during my fall and spring semester to pay off my college, which was just horrible because, you know, I tell students to apply to scholarships and then this happens. So I use my energy more this semester and this, this year to advocate to get policies to um, address this issue. And we've had some success. We've been working with other organizations that have been fighting for policies for years and we've been able to get a um, local a state bill introduced and it was actually passed in the Higher Education Committee in New Jersey. So it's on its way to get passed. So that scholarship That's award displacement, amazing. yeah. So that scholarship award displacement is outlawed in New Jersey. And then um, I'm actually working with my congressman Andy Kim, and they're actually going to introduce in a couple of months a federal bill to address scholarship award displacement. Way and, to go! Yes, I'm so excited, and um, it just happened so fast. And the people that have been working on this, you know, organizations that have been working on this forever. They were just so happy, you know, and I made sure to contact them and have them a part of this because I'm like, this couldn't have been possible if it wasn't for you guys putting the work in all these years, you know, and we've done events together and it's just been so cool, you know, to see, you know, that you can really accomplish a lot um, if you come together. And then um, the scholarship that I got, the scholarship that I won that my university basically displaced, the company, the Taco Bell Foundation, actually changed their policies um, this year so that that wouldn't happen to anyone else, any other scholars. I was like, you know, I can't cry about this. I need to, you know, try to figure out ways to, you know, change this policies and make sure no one else has experienced what I experienced, you know. What is the driving force behind the part of you that says, I can't cry about this. I got to, you know, get a job, figure it out, empower myself so that I can empower others. Like there's a distinct difference between the mindset of one who does that and the yeah. mindset of the of one who says, this isn't fair. It's not right. I'm going to give up. So what makes you different? I think for me, um, just growing up, and I've always had obstacles in my way, even when I was born, I was born one pound and 15 ounces. And so my parents say I have wow. this like, kind of like, you know, um, fighting mindset, spirit. It's fight, fighting spirit that I've always had since I was younger, um, because it's never been easy since the beginning. So I keep that mindset. And I, I understand that I was given a second chance on this earth. And so I need to you know, do what I need to do to change this world. And I can't give up because I've been through so many obstacles. So that was just another, you know, obstacle in my way. And I pushed it over and continued to climb. And um, I just think it's important for young people to have resiliency because that's just something that you need to have because you can't let obstacles stop you. It's always going to be there and you got to figure out how to climb that ladder. And for me, if I sat there and cried about it, then and didn't do anything, then all these students that were going to come after me 
would experience the same thing. And it will be more students going into debt, you know, people not knowing this, wasting their time applying scholarships when they can just understand the policies that each school has. Well, I can see even well, like why bother applying for scholarship if it's going to exactly. impact my ability to exactly it, it seems like it almost made it harder for you. Yeah, it, it did. It made it harder for me um, because my school's policies and every school has different policies, financial aid policies. And that's something that now I teach to the students that come through my organization. Like, please make sure that you check these financial aid policies before you even start applying to these colleges or before you even start applying to scholarships, because you just don't want to waste your time. and You don't want to go through what I experienced where I almost had to drop out because of this. So, OK, I'm going to ask again. <laughs> You're, I mean, I'm looking at you, right? This is a podcast. Everyone knows this podcast, but we're going to have some video links because you and I are on Zoom. You're speaking to me with a smile on your face through all of these obstacles that you've experienced. You seem to have a really bright perspective on life and, and your relationship to obstacles, right? And I always mm-hmm. talk about obstacles are opportunities. That's yeah. not unique. Lots of people say that but you seem to really embody that, right? There's a way we think it in our head, mm-hmm. but there's also a way in which we believe it with our whole body, you know? Mm-hmm. And I see you sitting over there believing that obstacles are opportunities to grow and not hold you back. And what are you seeing as a result in your life from having that kind of a mindset? I think for me, what I'm seeing is that I still have a positive mindset when things happen that you know wasn't planned or obstacles, but I think it's an opportunity for just anyone to really think about your life and to really understand like there's steps that you can take to get through that, you know. So I just thought for me, I just use that like you said as a motivating spirit. It's always been a part of like my DNA that I always say. <laughs> so, but for some, I think for people who are just not used to that, I think every everyone has obstacles. You just don't realize it you know and so that's just like my thought on that and some of us have more obstacles mm-hmm. than others right yes, like exactly we can get into the whole racism conversation and mm-hmm. the inequity conversation which i think is an important one to to explore but you know somehow some of us start out with greater yeah. obstacles than yeah. others and mm-hmm. i just think that's important for us to note one of the things I see you doing is you're seeking to empower others. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be empowered? What does yeah. that mean to you? So to me, especially that's my like mission and passion. And at first, you know, when I was younger, I used to think empowering was all about like motivating people and, you know, giving them all that, you know, butterfly words that everyone has, you know, inspiring words. But then when I started to grow up, I started to realize that empowerment really truly means to me is making sure that students, young people, anyone is provided with those resources and tools that they can empower themselves. People can say, you know, inspiring, motivating things, and then that can just go out one ear and go, and, you know, but the thing is that, you know, you want to make sure that you're providing tools and resources so that they can go out and they have those tools and resources for years to come. Mm-hmm. So that's for me what empowerment means. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who provided you with those tools and resources? Yeah, so I grew up in a military family. And uh, when my dad was deployed, a lot of nonprofit organizations, you know, came and helped my family, um, whether it was providing us with like free tickets to things, educational programming, leadership programming. And so um, they always said at the end, like, you always need to pay it forward. 
And so a lot of the nonprofits that helped me throughout the way, um, whether it was military nonprofit organizations or even nonprofit organization in my area called the Old League, they provided me with those leadership skills and programming so that I could go out there and change the world. And I believe that's important, you know, and I still keep connected with those organizations to show them that, you know, what you taught me, I'm able to inspire even more people. That's really fun. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about impact. So in June, you spoke at the Social Innovation Summit. Yes, yes. Alongside like executives from Facebook and the NBA and Microsoft and Nike and all that. And you have put yourself in these powerful leadership roles and a place to really make impact in the world. So I want you to speak to like, what's the impact you most wish to have? Um, I think for me, the most impact I wish to have is just to be like an inspiration to young people so that they understand to never give up. You know, a lot of people look up like at celebrities and um, and they also overcame obstacles. But I think for me and my story, it was a bit different. You know, um, it was never easy. And I hope that like my story inspires people to not give up. Um, and a lot of the students that I work with, they've said that um, they were very surprised about what happened to me <laughs> this you know year. And they were like, you, went, you accomplished so much and you still have to, you know, keep knocking on that door and I'm like yes that's just something you're gonna have to do and I'm not mad about it um, but I think my story will I hope inspire people to never give up and like the actions that I've been able to accomplish and my organization and other things I hope that can inspire people to go ahead and follow their dreams. There must be moments where you get frustrated or you do feel like giving up. Mm -hmm. What do you do in those moments to get yourself back up again? I listen to motivational like speeches. So one of my favorite motivational speakers is Eric Thomas. And I'm not sure if you know him. No. Um, no, but he's really good. He actually works for like consulting, I think, for the NBA and other corporations. Um, but I started watching him since I was in high school because I used to play basketball. So he was just really resonated with me. But I think the reason why he resonates with me is because he also went through a lot of obstacles. Um, he was like a, a high school dropout. And then he went on to get his PhD in college. And just how he expresses himself and how he lifts other people up with his words is truly inspiring. Um, he always says, if you want it, you want to need to want it. If you want, really want something, you may not be able to get enough sleep. You know, you might have to wake up at like 4 a.m. and get it, get it done. Um, and I think that's just so like inspiring, so motivating for me, because when those times do come, when I want to give up, I just put his, you know, his speeches on and listen to it and it, you know, empowers me. So. We all need someone to lift us up when we're down. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have him. He's great. I'm going to check him out. Eric yes. Thomas, love that. <laughs> yeah. So we talk a lot about leadership on this podcast and I define leadership as influence. And beyond mm -hmm. that, it's taking responsibility for the influence you have in the world. Yeah. So I see like you're inspired by people like Eric Thomas, who has demonstrated like he's got influence. How can he take responsibility for his influence, inspire others to do the same? Mm -hmm. I see you as a real leader, but I want to know how do you define leadership? Yes. Yeah, so I also define leadership as influence, but I also define it as how can you make sure that everyone you work with is also seen as a superhero? Mm -hmm. um, so um, my dad used to always tell me in basketball, he's like, you know, as a, I used to be a point guard and he used to say, you know, you want to make sure that each 
person that's on your team is able to, you know, score, is able to feel good, you know, put them in a position to be also a leader as well. And I use that, you know, philosophy into my organization where I make sure that my team is empowered, they're inspired by the work that they do, um, that I make sure that I congratulate them every day. I say, thank you. You know, you just have to be really nice, you know, as a leader. But also, I think what's also cool about my organization is that, you know, when I apply to like scholarships or awards for my organization, I don't apply for them for just me. Or if someone wants to nominate, you know, my organization for something, I say, they will say, oh, do you want to be nominated? And I say, just nominate my organization because that's more empowering because if my organization wins, then everybody in that or in my organization wins. And it's not just me. So that was something where the Diana Award, I'm not sure if you read about that, but in 2019, my organization won the Diana Award. Mm-hmm. And there was a section where you can apply, have someone nominate you for a um, individual award, or you can get nominated as a group. And so I told my mentor, I said, just nominate us as a group. Because now everyone in that, in my team at that time became a Diana Award honoree. And it wasn't about me, it was about my team and what mm-hmm. they've done and helped me, you know, create this organization. So I just think it's really empowering, important to make sure that you you know, use your resources. Like, you know, if someone's going to nominate you for an award, nominate your group, you know, because that will help them. You just never know where that may go. Um, and a lot of people I know in my organization who were, became Diana Award honorees are now speaking at different conferences, getting paid for it because they need money. <laughs> and it's opening so many doors for them. And I'm just like, wow, you know, that's, that's what leadership truly is. Yeah, you were mm-hmm. a catalyst to raise others up and empower mm-hmm. others. That's mm-hmm. amazing. How's that feel? Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's just great to see that you can really empower people and making sure that those decisions of like, you know, making sure that they're nominated for the Diana Award and see that we all won that. It's just so empowering that they can, you know, use that award and they can run with it and do other things and open so many doors for them. So many doors Mm -hmm. for so many people. And the ripple effect of the impact that it's having is far greater than one could imagine. Exactly. So there goes more impact. (laughs) Think about that, right? That's amazing to have that kind of impact. So just real quickly, for those who are listening in who don't understand what the Diana Award is, can you just tell really quickly, give all the two sentences? Yeah, so the Diana Award is basically in honor of Princess Diana, and they... Every year, they um, mentors nominate young people for this award. It's actually one of the highest awards you can get for social justice work in the world for young people. And so um, it's between nine to ages nine to 25. And so that's what the award is. And then it's, you're part of a network, a global network. And it's an international award for United States and other countries. So exciting. Congratulations. And thank you. Hey there. You know, we're all aware that these are unprecedented times. And with that inevitably comes a lot of fear, a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety. And while these are challenging times, these are also times for cultivating resilience, personal growth and development, all valuable skills for you as the next generation of leaders. So I'd like to help you learn to thrive this year while navigating these challenges. 
This August, I'm offering my Drop the Drama workshops online for free to college students. My Drop the Drama program is designed to help you learn to take responsibility and take control when life feels out of control. You'll learn how to cultivate self-awareness, a fundamental skill of great leaders. You'll learn to be self-empowered and develop lifelong skills to navigate whatever challenges arise in the moment. So you're free to succeed. Hop over to annemariechiresso.me and find a date in August to drop into my free online workshop and set yourself up to thrive this year. Or text I am free to 474747 to get your free meditation and to learn more. Welcome back to university. You're listening to my conversation with Zania Lewis. We've been talking about obstacles as opportunities, making an impact by lifting up your team, and how motivational speaker Eric Thomas helps Zania when she's down. Let's rejoin the conversation as Zania tells me about the time she got to interview Michelle Obama. Speaking of awards, you also won an essay contest that got you invited to interview Michelle Obama at the White House. (laughs) Take me back to the moment when you won that award and then you walked into the White House. What was that all like for you? Yes. So it was my first semester of my high school senior year when I applied for the award. So around, I think, I think November of 2015. So I saw it on Twitter. I use social media a lot when it comes to finding opportunities. And so I saw this contest and I was like, oh my goodness, should I apply to this? And so I asked my mom, she said, go for it. You never know. Um, so I, the um, essay question was asking, how are you overcoming adversity to get into your dream colleges? And how are you basically inspiring other people? So that was basically up my alley. <laughs> and yeah. so I wrote an essay about that. And um, a couple of months later, I received an email saying that I'm a, I was a finalist for the award and that they had to do some background check and everything. So I didn't hear from them for a couple of days and I thought, you know, I didn't win this. And I was actually crying. And then my dad came home one night and he said, check your email, you see if they like, you know, contact you back. And I was like, dad, they probably didn't contact me back, you know? And then he's like, just check, just check. And so when I checked the email, it said that I won the contest. Oh my God. (laughs) And so we were like- I have chills, I have chills. (laughs) It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. And like, my parents were like, oh my goodness. And then that next week I was actually, they had to go to the White House. So it was really quick turnaround. So I had to make sure I got my hair done. Yeah. <laughs> my mom's like, you need to go to get your hair done tomorrow. <laughs> so um, we basically prepped for the interview. I had like meetings with 17 Magazine. And then the next week I was on my way to Washington, D.C. to um, meet First Lady Michelle Obama at the time. And so that morning was just so... That's so exciting. Yes, it was exciting. I was nervous. You know, my parents were like, do not mess this up. <laughs> um, but no pressure. I know, no pressure. You're going to the White House. But I've always dreamed to go to the White House. I never went. So this was just like up my alley. And then when I got to um, Washington, D.C., we were greeted by like a car. We went to a hotel. We basically had like briefings on, you know, what's going to happen the next day. And then the day of the photo shoot, we had to wake up like four o'clock a.m. 
and get our nails done and we had yeah, like, yeah. got our hair done everything was so cool and then we went to the white house and um we met mrs obama and we had a photo shoot with her and she was just very loving her spirit is just amazing and she gave us a lot of advice i think that really stayed with me throughout my whole college and it will stay with me through my whole life you know journey the shoot was about you know how um, graduating high school and going on to college and the advice that she gave us and so I think one of the most important advice she gave Gemma and I who Gemma was my contest winner um, was that to continue to reinvent yourself and that you know now since you're graduating high school you're about to go to college and you're gonna you know find new things about yourself and discover new things about yourself and um, I think that really helped me because I was just on a not sure what I was going to do next kind of phase and that was before I started my nonprofit because I was like I'm graduating I was a part of all these nonprofits but now I'm getting old what am I going to do next now you're getting old yeah I was getting older for <laughs> the nonprofits that I was a part of because it yeah. was like you had to be I think between I think it ended at 18 years old so so I just think that was really cool she always also told us to continue our education, to continue to empower other people and make a difference. She didn't want us to stop that, you know, since we won this contest. And um, both of us went on to do incredible things. I know Gemma, she did Forbes Under 30. She won that and started her own company and she's doing amazing things. I still keep in contact with her to this day. And what I was able to do with my organization and graduate college is just incredible. So I think 17, you know, selected the right, you know, students for the contest. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. And since then, you've also, you were named 25 under 25 for social entrepreneurs in the nation, yes. weren't you? Yes, with Culture Media and Impact Nation. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. so what's it been like for you to have the experience of, gaining this level of acknowledgement. You've been invited to the Social Innovation Summit. You were named 2525. You've got this essay award. You're getting lots of affirmations from the world speaking sort of the truth into you. How does that feel? I think for me, it feels amazing. And I'm not about awards or anything, but I just think that these experiences really help me to also, sh you know, show me that, you know, what I'm doing is actually great, you know, and I know, like, in high school, for me, I didn't have a lot of recognition. A lot of people I call, like, slept on me. Um, they didn't believe that I was a leader because of my skin color or just because I was, like, in a lot of, like, my high school that I went to was, like, not really um, supportive in some ways. And I went through a lot of like racial injustices and discrimination. And so to have these people, you know, really acknowledge me because um, I didn't feel like I was acknowledged at my high school um, was very important. Um, I want to go back because in 2015, I won my first national contest that people like to glance over sometimes, but it was actually with the MBA and the MBPA. And they selected three um, students, athletes in America to travel with them to South Africa for the first MBA game on the continent of Africa. And so Seriously? that was, yeah, so that was my first contest that I won. And then a couple, a couple months later, it was the 17th contest. So um, that year was a like whirlwind, like my parents couldn't believe it. They're like, what is going on here? Um, but yeah. I went through a lot of hardships. I'm in high school. And so I felt like these contests really built me because I felt in a way I wasn't empowered and I didn't feel like acknowledged. And I just felt like what I was doing wasn't, you know, just wasn't being seen in some ways by my high school. And my parents always said, you know, you were doing great. Don't let people, you know, put you down or anything. But I think these contests really 
gave me confidence and empowerment and those resources to go after my dreams. And I needed that um, during that time. It was just like a hard time for me. And I'm just so grateful that people like Mrs. Obama and Seventeen Magazine and the NBA and the MBPA really saw something in me when other people, you know, didn't. It shows now reflects now to everything that I've been able to accomplish when it came to my nonprofit organization. And I make sure that, you know, when people come in my organization and they apply for positions, that I'm not looking for the people that help had all these experiences and with all these companies or internships. I'm looking for people who just were starting off or who maybe were like slept on, you know, uh, when I say, um, because it's important that, you know, you give those students those resources and you empower them. Because I know for me, I was doing great things and people weren't giving me, you know, any opportunity, you know. And so I make sure that my organization provides students with opportunities, even if they're just starting off. So as a Black woman who Mm -hmm. deals with racism and inequity and you know, I heard you say a few times, I wasn't being given the opportunity, yet there is something in you that, well, there's two things you said. You said that, and then you also said, they saw something in me, meaning Seventeen Magazine and Mm -hmm. the NBA. And so I want to point to, well, I believe you also saw that in you, Yeah. right? And there's a way in which when we're oppressed Mm -hmm. and we're not seen by others, that we can also oppress ourselves and you didn't Mm -hmm. do that. So I want to really acknowledge that. And, and thank you for not letting the ignorance of oppression and racism sort of dim the light that lives Mm -hmm. in you. And as a white woman over here, I I can't know what it's like to be in your shoes Mm -hmm. and have those experiences. So maybe just give, take a moment and speak to what that's like for you to not only not have people fully see you, mm-hmm. but to even oppress what the, the truth of you really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, during those experiences that I had, it just felt like you will continue to keep doing great things and people will be like, oh, no, that's not good enough. Or, oh, you didn't do that. And so I had a lot of that, especially when one of these contests, especially the 17 one, where I won this contest, yet people in my high school and adults were talking about my story wasn't valid, that I wasn't telling the truth, you know, about racial, racial discrimination and everything and how they tried to, you know, ignore what I was going through um, because they felt as though that kind of threatened their, you know, brand or their platform. And that's a consistent thing that I have to go through is like, you know, when I do win these contests or when I do, you know, share my story, people will say, oh, that didn't happen, you know, and that's not right, you know, because you can't tell someone that their story didn't happen when, you know, you might have not seen it, but it happened, you know, and so it's draining. It was very draining, I think, in high school when that continued to, you know, keep happening. And even with the 17, like, yes, it was a great contest that I won, but On the other side, I was actually, you know, crying in a bathroom when people were talking about how my story wasn't valid and how I should never won that contest, you know, and that's oppression right there, you know, you have a, you know, a girl in high school win this national contest with the first lady and you sit here and you try to say her story is invalid, you know, and that's something I don't really share with a lot of people that happen with me, but I think it's important to show people that, you know, yes, this was a great contest, but then it was also oppression happening during that time. So, yeah. What do you say to, to those who live on the side of oppression and say things like that? I say that I know that you may not be able to experience, you know, what others have experienced like myself, but it's important to just 
listen, you know, and you may not understand it, but listen, because it's important to listen to other people's stories because you're not going to ever, you might not ever experience it. Like, I'm not going to sit here and expect people to really understand, but I am asking you to listen to me and to not, you know, say it didn't happen in a way. So that's what I, I feel like. Listen and don't try to say something didn't happen because you just don't know. Yeah. Listen, be open, get curious, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is a really key. It's it, what we teach, what I teach, what we teach mm-hmm. over here is to be in a state of curiosity, openness, Mm -hmm. um, listening to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And I heard you say that often those who are oppressed, oppressed because they feel like their brand or their platform is being threatened. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you naming that because this is what happens when we become threatened, we defend, Mm -hmm. we oppress, we deny from a place of fear, right? This is what we do from fear. Like I, I'm afraid something's going to be taken away from me and I better protect it. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate the part of you who has the awareness to see that and name that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big, yeah, it big is. deal. It is. <laughs> so tell me what success looks like to you. Yes, I love this question. Um, I get it all the time. But for me, I think success is about uh, empowering people to go after their goals and their dreams. That's what success has been for me. It's never been about the awards or anything. It's been about, you know, being able to inspire and have an influence and help make a positive impact in the world and making sure that other people who I touch can do that as well. So you've just graduated GW. Mm-hmm. Um, weird graduation, I imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> COVID, a COVID graduation. How has that been for you? How has finishing senior year and being in this COVID space during this time in your life, what was that like for you? Yeah, so finishing senior year was a bit, I actually liked on the online classes. It wasn't a bad. Some people have different experiences, of course, but it was a smooth ending for my senior year after everything that I went through. So I think it was a great experience when it came to online and just learning my different learning styles when it came to online was important because that might be the future of, you know, education now. And I think the graduation, having an online graduation, I'm glad that the colleges have decided to do that because it's important to, you know, acknowledge all the students that went through all these, you know, four years or two years or anything and all the work they put into, um, it's important to acknowledge them. And, you know, we spend a lot of money to graduate, so we, better, we, we should be able to get a graduation. But COVID has really um, just been a learning lesson, I think, for me, especially transitioning my nonprofit. Although we were already a virtual organization, I think it's helped me to understand to continue to be more flexible for our young people because of everything that they're going through. I've had some deaths in my family, not because of COVID, but during this time. And so I know how hard it is for everyone who's, you know, experiencing the hardships of this. It's just very, very sad. I've been trying to keep empowered and inspired. And so making sure I exercise is so important. Um, Getting some sunlight. (laughs) Um, And also making sure you have a schedule where you don't be on a computer the whole day. Um, That's something that I was doing. I was on a computer the whole day when it first started. We talk a lot about self-awareness. And mm-hmm. I heard you say that you recognized that you can't be on the computer all day and mm-hmm. you need to take care of yourself. So what are 
some self-awareness practices you utilize, if any? So for me, I exercise. So I used to go to the gym when the gyms were open. Um, but now I do like daily walks with my one of my friends. Um, I have a treadmill at home. So I'm on a treadmill every day. I try to get off the computer like about like four or five o'clock just because the screen can hurt my eyes. I've, that's something that I've been noticing that, you know, your, the screen can definitely hurt your eyes. I've always been twitching. My eyes is always twitching. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I need some glasses. <laughs> so that's for me. I'm going to start like doing meditation because I heard a, a lot of people have said that works. So actually one of my um, team members is having like a meditation event for the Yes You Can campaign on Saturday. So I'm going to go there to see, you know, how to meditate. I don't know any of that. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm for it. That's my jam. That's what I teach. <laughs> so you'll ha- I'll have to clue you in on some of the things that I teach as well. Yes, please do. <laughs> so you've mentioned, I stepped away from my desk, so I don't have it you mentioned two mentors so far. Well, two people have influenced you. The NBA mentor, what's his name? Oh, Eric Thomas. Eric Thomas. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little bit about Michelle Obama as, as she inspired you. Mm-hmm. But who's had the biggest influence in your life as a mentor or a teacher? Oh, I have a lot of people. <laughs> it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Yes, it is. But I think for me... I'm going to like talk about my family members. So I think my sister and my mom and my dad have been like, I think the most influenced people, influential people in my life, just because their stories as well, but they've always had that motivating, just motivating factors in their lives and motiv- always motivated me to continue to climb, to continue to go after my, my um, goals and dreams. And so they've helped me during the most difficult times and, it was just great to be at home, especially during high school, but to go home and have people that empower you and family members that empower you because not that many people have that. You know, I've learned throughout my organization that a lot of students don't have family members or family that they can go to as a supportive, you know, system. A lot oh, of my friends, so yeah, a lot of my friends, they actually, when I was growing up playing basketball, they loved to be with my family because um, my family was able to provide that safe and supportive, you know, environment and community. And a lot of my friends call my mom and my dad, mom and dad, because, you know, they've been able to, you know, help them throughout their journey, um, even when I'm not there. And so that's really, I think that shows that my family is, you know, incredible, you know, and they've all, they've had their obstacles, they've had their successes, but it's important that they continue to inspire not only me, but, you know, the people that my friends and the people that I'm able to, you know, reach. Sounds like you have a beautiful family. Yes, I do. <laughs> All right. So tell me, and you really love them a lot. I, I really yes. love that. So um, you talk a lot about basketball. Yes. You, you've mentioned it a number of times. So it seems like that's a big part of your life. Do you still play basketball now? So I do not play basketball anymore, but it was a big part of my life because I started, I think my parents said I started maybe when I was four or five and I ended when I was 18. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the greatest lesson you learned as, you know, a basketball player? I feel like sports teaches you a number of lessons that I always tell students, go ahead and do some sports because you'll learn life lessons. But I think for me, like I said in the beginning about how my dad said, you know, you have to make sure everyone on your team is a superhero, you know. And for me, it was about making sure that everyone is provided with that opportunity to score, to, you know, 
be empowered. Um, it was never about me. And although I was successful when it came to like scoring a thousand points, people don't know that I actually have like over a thousand assists that they didn't count, but I counted. <laughs> um, so it's just important that as a leader in a basketball court that you empower your your teammates through not only the good times, but the bad times, whether you're losing and that you continue to keep going. And I think giving 120%, that was one of my coaches, basketball coaches always said, give 120%. So you give 100%, you know, for the game, but then you're going to have to have that 20% for overtime. And I always tell everyone, you know, that I, you know, teach when I come to my organization is to give 120% effort because you can't dictate the outcome, but you can't dictate basically your climb and your effort. So um, that's just something that I've always, I've learned from basketball and I keep every lesson I've learned from basketball with me because it's important. Love that. I love that when, when we empower everyone, everyone mm-hmm. wins. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's something that I think great leaders truly understand. And I see mm-hmm. that in you already. And I have so much hope for the future with leaders like you. Thank who you. have this clarity around what's what's best for the collective. Mm-hmm. It's not an individual experience. We are all interconnected. I think that's the thing coronavirus has taught mm-hmm. us more than anything is to remember mm-hmm. how we are all deeply interconnected. And hopefully that will continue to inform the divisiveness around race and mm-hmm. other inequities in the world to continue mm-hmm. to remember how interconnected we all are. So thank you for being, my word for you is warrior. Oh, thank you. Empowerment <laughs> and reminding us that, reminding that we're all connected no matter what, and that when we're each individually lit up, inspired and empowered, mm-hmm. we can light up the world. Exactly. And I love that you stand for that. Thank you. That was my conversation with Zanaya Lewis. You can find out more about her and the Yes She Can campaign at yesshecancampaign.org. We've also included relevant social media handles in the show notes. And thank you, Zanaya, for sharing your story with me. One of the things I love so much about talking to Zanaya was how committed she was and is to lifting others up in her life. She's really committed to making sure that everyone she encounters, works with, is in relationship to, is empowered to be their best selves. So for today, I'd like you to pause and take a moment and think about how are you empowering others in your life? How are you inspiring others to be the best they can be? And what's one concrete thing you can do today to inspire and empower someone around you? Okay, that's all for now. May you breathe easily, take it one moment at a time, and keep on doing the things you love. And I'll see you next time. The university's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me.
or follow us at Anne Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time.